Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Hey, welcome to part 13 of the greatest sermon ever taught in the history of the human race. Uh, You know how the president of the United States will give what we call the State of the Union Address uh, once a year. Well, the Sermon on the Mount might be thought of as the State of the Universe Address. Uh, Dallas Willard has uh, taught there are four great questions of life that everyone has to wrestle with, whether uh, you want to or not. Uh, First is, what is real? Second, what is the good life? Third, who is a good person? And fourth, how do you become a good person? Everyone has to wrestle with these questions, whether you want to or not. Uh, These questions are inescapable, and you and I will answer them by how we live. Well, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives his answers to these four great questions. Uh, What is real? Uh, What do we count on? God and his kingdom, uh, his will and his reign. Jesus taught that the foundation of existence is not some random universe. It's not a, a giant, meaningless machine, quarks or photons. It's a personal God of immense power and wisdom and love. That's why Jesus taught that we need to seek first the kingdom of God, because that's what's real. What is the good life? We all want to know this. Well, Jesus gives his answer in the Beatitudes. Uh, The good life, contrary to contemporary wisdom, is not based on status or wealth or success or IQ or attractiveness or followers or popularity. It's available to anyone and everyone who is in partnership with God in his kingdom. You, right where you are in your life, can live the dream and be blessed. You can know the good life. Who is a good person? People get confused on this one in our day. Uh, Jesus taught that a good person is someone who is receiving and living in God's love and routinely wills the good of other people. Uh, This is not about rule following. Which is why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus often contrasts, you know, you have heard that it was said, behavioral compliance with, but I say to you, inner transformation. How do you become a good person? You put your full confidence in Jesus and you become his disciple. You seek with the help of God to creatively and powerfully obey him in all things. You see, the reason the Sermon on the Mount is the most influential sermon in human history and why we're studying it is simply because no other teacher answers the four great questions of life in a way that brings anywhere near the guidance or wisdom Jesus did. And he lived it in his own life. And he still inspires people 2,000 years later. And today, we're going to look at one verse in the greatest sermon ever taught. It's Matthew 6, verse 1, where Jesus is warning against a common mistake people make in their pursuit of the good life and how they try to look like a good person. This is a warning. 
This is what Jesus said. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, the condition Jesus describes here is what in our day might be called approval addiction. It's to live in bondage to what other people think of me, uh, to make my life a performance to be seen by others. You know, Jesus goes on in Matthew 6 to talk about how people in that day would do this by showing how much they give to the poor or how much they, they pray or how much they fast. In Jesus' day, people often pursued status by flaunting how devout they were. You know, we live in a less religious culture, so we pursue status in other ways, but the temptation is still there to try to live for what other people think of me rather than who I am before God. We can take something good like giving or praying or fasting or my grades or my work or my body or my family and use that to gain approval from others and feed my own ego. And I don't even realize how much of a mess I am when I'm doing this, uh, which is really uh, the danger of it. You see, anytime you try to win someone's approval, you can't acknowledge that you're trying to win their approval because no one will give you approval if they think you're doing what you're doing just to gain their approval. In Matthew 6, people are giving and they're praying and they're fasting because they want to impress other people. They pretend they're doing it because they love God so much, but they just want to be seen by others. And Jesus calls this hypocrisy. And it gets into all of us. Like we all do this. We're all able to deceive ourselves into believing that we don't do this, but we do this. So in the rest of this message, I want to talk about what approval addiction really is. And I want to talk about what the consequences are. If you live for the approval of others, what can you expect? And then I want to look at what Jesus says uh, the antidote is so that we can move in a new direction. So what is approval addiction? Uh, the nature of addiction is that no matter how much approval you get, you can never have enough. Uh, you've got to have more and more and more. And like other junkies, you go crazy when approval is withheld. And when my identity is wrapped up in whether or not I'm perceived as successful or as liked by others, I'm set up for approval addiction. And it's my sense of self-identity that's on the line. In other words, when I'm in the grips of approval addiction, I am what people think of me. Whether I'm a musician or a businessman or a minister, what matters is how I'm perceived by the people around me. If I'm, you know, if being busy is important, then I must be busy. If having money is a sign of real freedom, then, well, I must have money. If knowing a lot of people proves my importance, well, I must make the necessary contacts. What matters is how I am perceived by the people around me. That, that is a, a terrible addiction, and many millions of people in the kingdom of this world are addicted in it. When I'm in approval addiction, I'm always vulnerable to other people's opinions about me. So my life is like an, emo an emotional roller coaster. Uh, when I was uh, leaving the last church I worked at, uh, we were having a reception and a woman came through the line to greet me. Uh, and she was enormously sad that I was leaving and, 
And I actually felt kind of good about that. I didn't want her to know that, but it made me feel kind of good. I said, don't be sad. You know, I'm sure the next pastor will be much better than me. And she started crying and said, you know, that's what they said last time, but they keep getting worse. (laughs) Okay, it didn't really happen that way. Uh, There's a fascinating book called Popular, where the author describes what happens to us when we go to high school, how there's a, a chemical change that goes on in the brain that makes popularity the most urgent priority in life. And he says those changes stick with us after high school. Yet the reality is, sometimes the most popular kid in high school is miserable. Sometimes being popular doesn't necessarily lead to being happy. It doesn't lead to the good life. There are two different kinds of popularity. Uh, There's status, uh, which is how we're able to impress other people, you know, by being rich or by being beautiful or powerful or famous. And that starts in high school. The author writes about a student named Alexandra who uh, was tall and attractive and beautifully dressed and very confident, and she was the, the leader of her group at her high school. Like every student surveyed listed Alexandra as the most popular girl in school. Do you want to guess who was the most disliked girl in that school? Ironically, it's Alexandra. She's mean, selfish, exclusive, and a gossip. Uh, Now, the other kind of popularity is quite different. This kind of popularity is about likability, and it's defined by being others-centered. Status is about focusing on yourself. Likeability is about focusing on others. Status is about you, you know, what you're doing, your life. Likeability is about others. You're genuinely interested in other people, and you like to listen a lot. When you're with a person who's striving for status, you feel unimportant, like you're less than. When you're with a likable person, you feel like they're bringing out the best in you. You feel like your life matters. To be likable, uh, to be trustworthy, to genuinely care for other people, to will their good, really is the same quality Jesus describes with a word that kind of sounds churchy to us, which is righteous. I mean, we could actually translate Matthew 5.20, a core statement in the Sermon on the Mount, unless your likability surpasses the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. We think of righteousness as this kind of pious thing, but really it's nothing more than being a likable, caring, loving person. Now, the problem for people who suffer from approval addiction is they can never get enough. You know, people who study approval addiction say addicts end up engaging in what's sometimes called excessive reassurance seeking. They're always checking in to find out, you know, what do you think of me? Uh, They're apologizing or they're they're asking, do you uh, like what it is that I'm doing? And underneath it, you feel manipulated because you know they're just trying to use you to satisfy their own craving for approval. And by the way, how is the sermon going so far? Is it going well? Are you finding this information useful? (laughs) Now, the alternative to uh, approval addiction is this, to live before an audience of one. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard talked about the idea of living as though I have an audience which, which consists of God alone. And what Kierkegaard recognizes is that we're made to seek approval. We can't help it. 
you see this in babies. You know, when, when they're loved, when they're cherished, when they're uh, noticed, they just radiate joy. And so the question isn't, will I seek approval? The question is, where will I seek it? I have an infinite need for approval. That's part of being human. And God has an infinite supply. Only God does. And Jesus said, if you want to become a good person and live the good life, you enter into the kingdom of God, what is most real, and you live to please God. You live to be approved by God. You find security in God's love. You find your identity in the image of God. You find your hope in the strength and the power of God. You live for God's approval, not for human approval. In fact, you cannot actually live for both God's approval and human approval. You have to choose one or the other. The Apostle Paul said, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I know he's like, I would be performing and pleasing and, and guessing and pretending and calculating. Paul also wrote to the church at Corinth when they were going through a mess. He said to them, I care very little if I am judged by you or by a human court. I want to give you a little phrase to take into your week with you if you want to work on this approval addiction. Uh, the phrase is, I don't care. <laughs> it's incredibly liberating. You know, when some so-called fashion expert doesn't approve of your outfit, I don't care. When an expert interior decorator doesn't approve of your decor, I don't care. When the cool kids don't approve of your music playlist, I don't care. When a coworker doesn't like your idea, I don't care. When a police officer doesn't like how fast you were driving, I, <laughs> all right, well, maybe you want to care a little bit about that. Uh, now, this doesn't mean I don't care about you. What this means is I live for an audience of one, and you are not the one. You see, God is not calling you to win everyone's approval. When I started working at a church, I remember having this kind of weird thought, you know, well, one good thing about working at a church is everyone will like me. Because if you work at a church, everyone has to like you, right? Of course, life is never that way. Not everyone is going to like you, so stop trying. Here's the amazing thing now. You know, this is life in the kingdom of God. Jesus likes me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I live now in the reality of the kingdom of God for an audience of one. All right, in just a moment, we'll look at the consequences of approval addiction, of performing to impress people. All right, so the reality of Matt's words that not everyone is going to be like you might not bother you. Uh, you never really cared about what people thought of you to begin with. The challenge for you is to care more about what God thinks of the life that you're living. And, but for others, those words are not only hard to hear, they're hard reality to accept. Uh, you understand the importance of living for an audience of God alone, but whether it's approval addiction, people-pleasing, or an internal struggle with your self-esteem, you need people to approve of you to feel accepted and loved because the people around you are the ones you can see and touch and have an audible conversation with, and the opinions of other people feel more immediate, right? But God's not asking you to win everybody's approval. He's already given you His. 
Living for the audience of God alone is to live in his never-ending, all-accepting love. And in his letter to the Roman church, the Apostle Paul wrote that nothing in the physical world or spiritual realm can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. He accepts you as you are, and as you live for him, he shapes you into who you are in him. You're free to stop living for the approval of others and instead live from the approval of God. At the end of life, when God says to you, well done, good and faithful servant, you won't care how popular you were, or how many friends you had, or if you impressed people. Live for an audience of one. All right, let's rejoin Matt as we continue looking at the words of Jesus. All right, now Jesus goes on to talk about the consequence of approval addiction, of doing things to be seen by others, to impress people. Again, in that day, these things were often religious. Uh, In our day, it might be athletics or working really hard or a number of other things to be seen by others. Jesus says, and this is so profound, if you do you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, we'll see in Matthew 6, in the weeks ahead, Jesus goes on to talk about rewards. And this is often confusing for people. Uh, Jesus says, if you do things to be seen, you'll have a certain reward, but you won't get one from God. But if you do things in secret, God will reward you. Uh, The writers of Scripture talk a lot about rewards and how God rewards us. And thoughtful people are often confused by this. You know, they wonder, well, is Christianity just this mercenary religion? Does it bribe people with rewards? So we need to talk about what this means. C.S. Lewis writes about this in a very helpful way. Uh, He says there are two categories of rewards which are very different from each other. Uh, There are extrinsic rewards and there are intrinsic rewards. You know, an an extrinsic reward has no natural connection to the activity or the relationship. It's maybe a prize or a bribe. An intrinsic reward is naturally connected to what you're doing. So there's extrinsic versus intrinsic. Let me give you an illustration just to be clear on the difference. Uh, If you marry someone because they're rich to get their money, would that be an intrinsic reward or an extrinsic reward? That would be an extrinsic reward. Don't do that. In case you're wondering, marrying someone for money is not a good idea. Uh, On the other hand, if you marry someone for love, you get a reward. Uh, You get the experience of love, which is an intrinsic reward. That's good. You should do that. Uh, If you study to get good grades so that other people will be impressed by your GPA, is that an extrinsic or intrinsic reward? That's extrinsic. Don't do that. If you study to grow your capacity for knowledge and to learn and to be able to know and to discover and to be enriched intellectually, that's intrinsic. You ought to do that. That's good. If you buy a Porsche because it has status, prestige, and will impress other people, uh, that's extrinsic. It's not a good thing. But if you buy a Porsche because it has power and speed and beauty and you're going to give it to your pastor as an expression of appreciation and love, uh, that's a good thing. You should do that. Now, the writers of Scripture have a lot of important things to say about rewards that are intrinsically connected to life in the kingdom of God. And they're mostly about the person you will become. 
Uh, the writers of scripture will often use uh, physical imagery to describe these rewards because they're trying to convey a spiritual reality that's beyond words. Uh, for example, they'll talk about music in heaven. And the idea is not that uh, we're going to be playing harps in heaven. Uh, it's about music expressing joy that's too deep for words. Uh, biblical writers will talk about saints reigning on thrones. And the idea is not that we're going to sit in really nice fancy chairs. Uh, a throne is about dominion. It's about uh, partnering with God to be strong and creative in uh, bringing about good. It's life in the kingdom of God. Uh, this is what C.S. Lewis wrote. There is no need to be worried by facetious people who try to make the Christian hope of heaven ridiculous by saying they do not want to spend eternity playing harps. The answer to such people is that if they cannot understand books written for grown-ups, they should not talk about them. People who take these symbols literally might as well think that when Christ told us to be like doves, he meant that we were to lay eggs. The writers of scripture have a lot to say about rewards, and we need to think about them like grown-ups. A lot of people misunderstand Matthew 6. Jesus is not saying, if you do good deeds and someone sees them, you know, God is saying, well, I was going to give you a reward, like an extra jewel in your crown or a, a bigger mansion. But now that other people have seen what you did, you know, I'm taking that reward back. The reward Jesus is talking about here is the person you become. The idea is when you do these things in secret, you will increasingly be freed from the tyranny of approval addiction. You will have the peace that comes from knowing you're loved by God. You will have the security of not needing the approval of other people all the time. You'll have the joy of being free to help another human being without the constant need to be liked by them. Uh, you can be happy even when someone raises an eyebrow at you. But if you keep doing things to impress other people, doing your righteous deeds before others to be seen by them, then your reward will be that maybe they'll be impressed by you. God will allow you to have that much. Now, of course, you will miss the transformation into a good person who can experience the good life. But it's not because God is saying, uh, I'm, I'm going to take away uh, that gift from you. It's just that you've simply chosen the reward that's incompatible with the one that God wants to give. So how do you know if you suffer from this approval addiction? Your life will tell you. I'm reading a book that a friend recommended called Glittering Images. Uh, it's been helpful to read. It's part of a, a book series uh, about a pastor who on one level wants to serve God, but then is trapped by his ego. The book contrasts a person's outward appearance, their glittering image, with their true selves that are uh, broken with hiddenness and shame. It's written by a woman who was, interestingly enough, a, a romance novelist and was suffering in her marriage. She moved to England and lived across from this beautiful cathedral. And it's in that transcendent beauty that she met Jesus. And she began to write a different kind of book, these amazing stories about this pastor who was tempted by glittering images. My friend bought this book for me. I think he's trying to tell me that I have a problem with approval addiction. <laughs> Hi, my name's Matt, and I'm an approval addict. If you don't like me, I don't care. Do you really not like me? <laughs> really? Uh, all right, now, how do we break free from approval addiction? 
Uh, it's not by willpower. You might think about it like this. We were all made by God with two basic needs. Uh, they need to be known and they need to be accepted. And you can think of this in like a, a two by two matrix where I can experience being known or not being known and then I can experience being accepted or not being accepted. So if I'm being accepted, I'm getting approval, but I'm actually not known, I'm not my true self, this is what's called illusion. And this is actually what was going on in Matthew 6. People were pretending, you know, look at me pray, look at me give, look at me fast. They were getting other people to approve of them, to accept them, but they were not really known. This is really an empty way to live. And a church could become this. Now, if no one knows me and no one accepts me, then I live in isolation. And this is really an epidemic in our day. The number of people living where they are not known and they are not accepted just keeps going up in our society. If I'm known, but I'm not accepted, then I experience rejection. And this is so painful that we'll do anything to get out of it. When the writer of scripture in Genesis talks about Adam and Eve and says, they were both naked, that is they were fully known, and they were not ashamed, they were accepted. They knew this joy. It's so painful when someone knows me and doesn't accept me. It's really an interesting thing when we let a little bit of ourselves be known and we kind of wonder, you know, will they accept me or not? Now, I've been learning a lot uh, from AA and the, the 12 steps. And the first thing they say in AA is, you know, I'm Matt, I'm an alcoholic. And, and this is a little step in the direction of being known. The first time someone says that, I mean, it's a huge step. And people are ready to be rejected. And then what happens is everyone says, hi, Matt. In other words, this is a place where you are going to be accepted. We'll actually cheer on your vulnerability. You see, this final quadrant where you're known and accepted is love. It's where there's freedom. It's where there's power and life. And this is the kingdom of God. This is re reality deeper than uh, quarks and photons. This is what Jesus wants for you and for me. This is where you become truly a good person. All right, so Jesus actually gives two great spiritual practices to his disciples to help with this. Uh, and these are both things that can be practiced or uh, they're also called disciplines. And the first one is the discipline of secrecy. Actually, the entire first part of Matthew 6 is an invitation to secrecy. Jesus says, when you give, give in secret. When you pray, pray in secret. When you fast, fast in secret. Now, again, this is often misunderstood. Jesus is not giving laws here. He's not saying, you know, anytime you pray, you know, do it alone and never with other people. It always has to be done in secret. What Jesus is doing is giving a practice that will be helpful for those who struggle with approval addiction. It's not a law for everyone, but for those who struggle with approval addiction. Do something good and don't let anyone know about it. Now, maybe for you, that sounds terrible. You know, you mean I won't get recognition for it? I won't get a reward for it? But Jesus says, as you do that, you'll discover you don't need to impress people in order to live a joyful life. You'll actually begin to experience freedom. 
Because when you do that, your heavenly father who is unseen, and we'll get into more of that in, in the weeks to come, your heavenly father who is unseen sees what is done in secret and he will reward you. And you'll become the kind of person who can live in love and joy. So go do that this week. Practice secrecy. Do something good for someone and don't let them know about it. Do something good for someone you don't like and don't let them know about it. That's even more fun. You know, write an anonymous, anonymous note to encourage someone. Uh, do a favor for someone. Clean up a neighbor's yard. Uh, get a gift for someone from a coffee shop and anonymously give it to someone. Just do good things and don't tell anyone about it. Do a little experiment and find out what Jesus said and if it's actually true. Jesus said, you will experience freedom and strength. See if that's true. This is life in the kingdom of God. And then the other practice is get into a community where you're loved. Join a small group where you'll be known and accepted by a group of people. You know, this is why the church exists. God wants you to be in a little community where you're known and accepted and loved. So if you struggle with approval addiction, I hope you become a follower of Jesus this week and do good things in secret. And I hope you get into a little community where you can experience being known and being accepted and being loved. All right, let me pray for you. God, we thank you again for your word. We thank you again for this sermon that Jesus gave, the greatest sermon ever preached. And in this area of approval addiction, I pray that you would help us to live our lives for an audience of one, uh, not to be liked or noticed by other people, but uh, because of the things that you have told us, the things that we can do to live life in all its fullness. God, help us to follow your ways and your truth and to live for your approval, which is most important. And God, I pray that those rewards, uh, the kind of person we become, uh, will just lead us to that, that joy, that fulfillment and, and meaning and purpose that we long for at the core of who we are. God, would you continue to teach us, continue to shape us this week as we engage in these uh, practices of secrecy and as we gather in community and are vulnerable before people who accept us and love us. Help us to, um, to connect in a real way this week with these disciplines that can shape our hearts and our minds in your ways and your truth. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, and we hope to see you on Sunday soon.